ברוכים הנמצאים, ליידיז, וולקאם. תזכו לשנים רבות, נעימות וטובות. You do get extra credit today. Number one, because it's raining. So that's an automatic uh, because of the uh, inconvenience of coming out in the rain, your reward is compounded. But uh, being that it is a uh, few days before Pesach, we know that the ladies are involved in their preparations. And there is no extra time this month. Uh, however, you did steal from your physical preparations in order to make mental preparations for the Hag. And that's just as important. It's important to have a clean home for Pesach. It's important to have good food for the Se'udot. But it's important also to fill the brain with very important uh, lessons that we could learn from Haga Pesach. Amen. And uh, we like to every year try to say something different, something new that we haven't said in previous years. This year is no exception. Uh, I'd like to begin the talk today <clears throat> from the end. I'd like to go from the end to the beginning. The end of the Haggadah. The last part of the Haggadah is, to many, is the favorite part when we start to sing some songs. Uh, we all start to sing the songs of Ehadmi Yodeya, these classical jingles that belong only to the night of Pesach. And then there is one piyut that makes it to all the Haggadot. It's called Hadgadya. Now the song at first glance looks like a very simple, basic, uh, you know, child's, forgive me, you know, rhyme or song that belongs in some nursery school somewhere you know, just teaching the kids how to read, maybe, and how to rhyme words. It talks about, you know, a goat that was sold, and then the cat came and ate the goat, or the sheep, and then the dog came and ate the cat, and then the stick hit the dog, and then the fire hit the sti- burnt the stick, and then the, the water burnt the fire, and then uh, the ox drank the water, and then the slaughterer came and slaughtered the ox, and then the angel of death came and slaughtered the slaughterer, and then HaKadosh Baruch Hu came and slaughtered the Malach I don't see exactly what this has to do with Pesach, to be honest with you, but it's a custom nonetheless to sing the song. I've learned over the years, and I believe in this firmly, that the more simple something looks, the more deep it is. Hachamim have an uncanny way of hiding the greatest secrets in something that seems so elementary. And they do that on purpose. They want the amateurs to come along and say, ah, there's nothing over here. So they walk away. And they leave the treasures behind. But the people who know, they say, hold it. Hachamim would not write a song like this and put it in the Haggadah Shul Pesach unless there's something very, very significant and a lesson to be learned. I also want to tell you that there was a great rabbi called Rav Chida, and in one of his teshuvot he says that they asked him the following question. There was somebody in his time that made light of this song. 
and they talked about it in a derogatory fashion. And as a result, the rabbi that heard it put this person in excommunication. And they asked Rabbi Nafhida, is it right? Is it proper that the rabbi should have excommunicated somebody for belittling the Hadgadya? And Nafhida says in a very, very clear answer, unequivocally, absolutely, yes. He deserves to be excommunicated because he talked a little against one of the songs in the Haggadah Shal Pesach. So that tells me that Rav Hida put this song on a very, very high pedestal. So I'd like to tell you how this class began. I said to myself, being that Rav Chaim Kanievsky, Alav Shalom, Sarah Torah, Zechel Sadiq Lebrachad, Gadol Ador, were within his 30 days. And uh, we know already, we see the, the danger that the world becomes in when you lose the Gadol Ador. There hasn't been an attack in Bnei Berak in 80 years. And all of a sudden, the, the week that the rabbi's Shiva is over, and there's a brutal attack uh, against Yehudim in, in Bnei Berak or in the surroundings. We know that Sadiq protects. So I said to myself, let me go look in some of the rabbi's books to see if he has a pirush on Had Gadya. Many years ago, when I was in Bnei Berak, I went to Rav Chaim's house and I bought, I bought almost all of his books at the time. And one of the books that I bought was called Ta'amad Dikra. Tabadikra is a book he has on Humash. The outside is very unimpressive. You know, all his books are like that. Just black cover with, you know, with the name of the book on it, nothing fancy. It's all content. You know, they say, don't judge a book by its cover. It's true. You have to look at the inside of the books over here. But people that are looking to make their bookshelves nice, these are not books for that. These are very, very plain outside books. You know, black and, 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 and silver. Anyway, in the end of Tabadikra, he has uh, a couple of pieces on Pesach. And to my delight, he talks about the Hadgadya. And he comes along and he says, listen, in order to understand what this song is doing, you need to go to the book of Zechariah. Zechariah, go find it first. Who even knows where that book is? It's in Tre'asar. And in the fifth chapter of Zechariah, the last pasuk over there, whatever it is, Rashi opens our eyes to something. We always thought that there are four exiles. And if we had to list them, besides Mitzrayim, Mitzrayim is the mother of all exiles. But after Mitzrayim, we had Galut Pavel, we had Galut Paras Umadai, Paras, and we had Galut Yavan, it's the Greeks, Antiochus, Hanukkah. And then what we have today, which we're involved in for close to 2,000 years, is Galut Edom. Uh, I always thought there's four. And I was happy with that. I don't want it. I don't want it to be any more than that. But the uh, Rashi comes and tells us it's four, that's really eight. Four, that's eight. And he comes along and says that in every exile, there was a pair. And he tells us the pairs. He writes, "Shekola galuyot, ha'iti b'medrash te'ilim, shedalid malchuyot alalu, 
ששרמדו בישראל, that the four kingdoms that subjugated Israel, כפולות היו, כפולות, דאבלד, בבל וכסדיים. So there was Babylonia, which is the Buchad Netzar, and I guess some of his descendants became כסדיים. So that's two. מדי ופרס, that which we know. פרס ומדי, מדי ופרס, we read that in מגילת אסתר. אנטיוכוס ומוקדון. Antiochus is Hanukkah, Mokedon is Alexander of Macedonia, or Macedonia, Alexander the Great. It seems that there were two kingdoms in Yavan, and we were under both of them. That's six. And then he says, the last exile, Edom v'Yishmael, as was mentioned by one of our members. So therefore, as she tells us that, the last exile that we're in now, Edom, which is Rome, you want to call it North America, Europe, but it's, it's split. It's Edom, and then there's Yishmael, and that's, it seems, the eighth and final exile is Yishmael. That's what it seems, because he listed them all. And it seems that we went through all of them already. The only one that's outstanding is the one that we're in now, which is Edom slash Yishmael. So there's eight. All right, you learned something. What does this got to do with Had Gadya? So the rabbi says, if you look in the Had Gadya, it starts talking about Gadya. What is it Gadya? Gedi. Gedi is a sheep, let's say. Now we know that the Jewish people are related or are compared to a sheep. That's fact. It always says, Yisrael. The Jewish people are like God's sheep. Fine. There's Abin Abba. Who's Abba? Abin Usheba Shamayim. The Zabin Abba, he bought us. We were bought from God. And what did he buy us with? Mitre Zuzeh, the two Zuzim, which is the Shnei Luchot Berit. Very nice. That means we became uh, God's uh, nation, Mitre Zuzeh, with the, with the Luchot. Unfortunately, the Jewish people did not always keep the contents of the Luchot. There were generations where they disobeyed. They were in contempt of the Torah. And when the Jewish people don't keep the law, what happens? Exile. Says the Rav. He says, well, who came first? Well, first came the Shunra, the cat. The cat is Bavel. And then after the cat came the Kalba, the dog. That's Kasdim. And then came the Chutra. That's Madai. And then came the Nura, the fire. That's Paras. And then came the Maya, the water. That's Mokedon, Alexander. Then came the Torah, the ox. That's Yavan. And then came the Shochet. Now, I didn't explain to you why each one is what it is, but he proves why each one of these uh, uh, parts of the Hadgadah represents a different exile. It's not important for us to know his proofs, but he brings proofs. Don't think he's just saying this out of the hat, off the cuff. He brings proofs. But I'll tell you, when he gets to the Shohet, he says, who's the Shohet? The Shohet is Edom. Now, that you don't have to bring any proofs. Just go back 
to the events between 1938 and 1945 in Europe, and you'll know exactly why Edom is called the Shochet. They've earned that name like no other uh, uh, nation has. They systematically and uh, uh, mechanically created a machine of death, lo'alenu, in the small amount of years, and therefore the slaughtering and the uh, extermination of European Jewry. So definitely they've got that title, the Shochet. Well, what happens after the Shochet? Says the Malachamavit comes and goes after the Shochet. Who's the Malachamavit? Says Rav Chaim Kanievsky, Malachamavit, Zeyishmael. Wow, what an unflattering title to give to Yishmael. And he says, well, listen, the Torah says he's not Adam. He's called Pere Adam. And therefore, this is not uh, uh, to be considered regular Adam. And therefore, he says, Malachamavit. And then what's going to happen when the Malachamavit comes after the Shochet, which seems is going to be friction between Yishmael and Edom. Very good. And then the end of the Hadgadya says, Kadosh Baruch Hu. Kadosh Baruch is going to come and he's going to finally bring down the Malachamavet. And he says, It's ultimately the kingdom to God and the exiles are going to be over. Very nice. Chaim came along and said that the Hadgadya is actually the history of the Jewish people in Galut. All eight of them are hinted in all the different eight sections, all the way down to the final exile of Yishmael, which is the last of the exiles, which is Malach HaMavet. The good news is the Hadgadya tells us that HaKadosh Baruch Hu will come and get the Malach HaMavet, and as they say in the fairy tales, everybody will live happily ever after. And I'm asking a simple question. Very nice, I love this song. I just don't know what this has to do with Yitzhak Mitzrayim. No mention of Egypt in there. I mean, it's, it is the Haggadah Shel Pesach, mind you. So I would not have a problem if you mentioned one of the plagues in the song, or Paro, or Moshe, or something. You went through every other exile, and no mention of the exile that we came to discuss on the night of Seder, which is Galut. Mitzrayim and Yitziat Mitzrayim. No disrespect to the song and no disrespect to the commentary. It's un- incredible. Deep stuff. And it's very consoling stuff. But I just want to know why did it make it to Haggadah Shil Pesach? That's my question. I'll answer it in a timely manner. I'll wish you a happy holiday and then we'll be on our way. That's a very simple class today. No, no, uh, no tricks. In order to understand this, I need to bring to your attention what's brought down in a sefer that's called Yalkut Reuveni. I have a copy of it here. You see, the Yalkut Reuveni is asking a very important 
uh, and serious question that we neglect. So when we come to Lil Seder, the night is divided into two parts. We do certain things to remind us of that we were slaves. That's, for example, we eat the maror, and uh, we have this haroset that looks like the cement. We do certain things that remind us of our freedom. We lean like rich people, and we have arbakosot, which is a sign of freedom. So we're always doing something, and you could probably categorize everything you do that night, either it's zechid le'abdut or zechid le'herut. It falls into one of those categories. But the real question is, I mean, if you want to learn something, instead of just, you know, uh, reminding us of what happened, the real question, if you want to study the Haggadah properly, is why did it happen? That's what I want to know. Why did it happen? Why did we go into Galut? Why did this happen that we're in Egypt? It's one thing to commemorate it and do all these things to remember the bitterness and the hardship and the backbreaking labor. But I want to ask a question before. Because if we don't learn from history, then history repeats itself again. So isn't that an important question that the Haggadah should deal with? Why did this happen? It should teach me somewhere in the Haggadah and I don't see it. I don't see any chapter that's really dedicated up to the reason why the Galut happened. They just talk about the Galut and the redemption, but not the reason behind it. So you have to open up the Yalkut Ruveni for that. The Yalkut Ruveni says, ah, oh, you want to know why? It's a measure for measure. After all, the Jews were the first slaves but way before Egypt even started. Who was the first Jewish slave? Yosef HaSadiq. The brothers sold Yosef as an Eved. David HaMelech says it in Tehillim, Le'eved Nimkar Yosef. Now that wasn't to do with anti-Semitism. You can't blame that on the Nazis and you can't blame that on, you know, the Jew haters. The brothers did it to, to themselves. It was an acrimonious relationship. There was a divide in the family of Yaakov. And the brothers ultimately took their brother, the apple of the eye of Yaakov Abinu, and they sold him down to Egypt as a slave. So Yalkut Uveni says, what goes around is going to come around. Because you sold your brother as an Eved for the next thousands of years Every Jew is going to come along on the night of Seder and they're going to have to say in embarrassment, Avadim hayinu Because we sold Eved Yosef, we became Avadim Lefar'o. There is a Midah connected Midah. So what I understand this Yalkut is saying is that it was the, it was the Mahloket. It was the Sanat Hinam. It was the strife that existed in the family of Yaakov, which is the Jews, and ultimately that brought upon us exile, and ultimately it brought upon a very dark period of our history, because we treated our brother like an Eved, the whole nation became relegated to Avadib Hayinu. It's a very nice Shalkut Reuveni, I love it, 
but it's not in the Haggadah. You got to go find this remote book, which I don't even have a copy of it in my library. I had to go on the computer to find a copy of it. So it's a remote book, very, very rare. And if I don't have this book, how am I supposed to know this? If I was writing the Haggadah, I would put this information in the book. So the people that are reading it can get a lesson. How bad it is. That's the cause of all our problems. Put your, put your quarrels and disputes on the side. It's not worth it. Whatever benefit you're going to get from Mahloket, the damage is much worse. Well, I do see a little hint. I do a little hint. One time there was members in the community that were fighting. It happens from time to time. And nobody was able to break the Mahloket. You know, Mahloket has a nature of keep on just getting bigger and bigger and growing and it metastasizes into a, it takes a life of its own. After a while, you don't even know why you're fighting. You're just fighting for the sake of fighting. Because that, that, that was the Minag, you're doing it so long. So what happened was they came to me for mediation. And they, they were ready for some great philosophical idea that I'm going to give them in order to talk them out of it. And I said to them, very simple. I said, I have nothing uh, Kabbalistic to tell you, or nothing, you know, that's going to, so deep. I just know what Rav Chaim Vital said. And it's also brought down by the Shlach Kadosh. One mahloket pushes away a hundred parnasot. They said, what does that mean? When they heard the word parnasot, they perked up. What do you mean? What's the way talking? Which they were waiting for me to come and tell them, nah, you know, for the sake of peace, it's not right. And they weren't going to listen. But when they heard that, hold it, Mahloket and Parnasa are connected. These were businessmen, they perked up. I said, that if Haim Bital, he must have heard it from the Arizal, said that how toxic is Mahloket, that if a person has a hundred opportunities to make a living, it will push away all hundred. Now that's, that's a lot of opportunities. I don't know how many people, if they live a whole lifetime, you get a hundred opportunities to make parnasa. And one ma'loket pushes away all hundred. When they heard this, you mean, Rabbi, it's going to affect my pocket? It's going to affect my bank account, ma'loket? Absolutely. And I reminded them that when Korah went against Moshe Rabbeinu, it says in Midrash, I sort of, Haim Palachi brings it down. During the weeks, or however many days, that mahloket of Korah was lasting, the man did not fall from heaven. Imagine that. There was no man. Don't ask me what they ate. They had to eat whatever they had in the, in the, in the closets. Why? The man is the panasah. There's no panasah when there's mahloket. When they heard this. So I said, beautiful. That's why the Haggadah begins. The Haggadah begins and it says, we were poor in Egypt. We ate the bread of poverty. You know why? Because of the mahloket. Because of the mahloket, it pushed away all our parnasah, pushed away the parnasah of all Klai Israel. Klai Israel was living in a depression in Egypt. We were eating the bread of poverty. And therefore tonight, we want to make the tikkun of Sinat Chinam. So what do we say right away? 
We invite anybody to the Seder table. Now already the tikkun for Sanat Hinam is to open our door with unquestionable hospitality. Therefore, that can be a rem is why the Haggadah begins with that. We know the sin, we know what the sin caused, and we're committed on the Seder to make rectification of the sin, and therefore, as we say, it's very nice. It's vague, but it's very nice. You needed a rabbi to point that out. You couldn't have figured that out yourself. So again, unless you have a big rabbi at your Seder table to tell you all these nuances, you're going to miss these things. So I was, uh, would have been happy if something would have been even a little more obvious, that even a regular folk like us would be able to maybe, maybe catch. The Halach Ma'anya is a good one, but you need Rabbi Mansur to come along and bring it to your attention. Is there something that maybe is a little more obvious and a little more apparent? Well, I'll tell you something else that I found. You know, you have the four sons. The Hakam, the Rasha, the Tam, and the She'enu Yodeh and the Sha'am. It says to the last of the sons, She'enu Yodeh and the Sha'am. What are we supposed to do? He doesn't know how to ask. He doesn't know how to ask. So what are we supposed to do for him? At petahlo. We tell the mother, go try to, try to explain it to him. And the mother has to deal with the special child. But I saw brought down in one of the sefarim, there's a deeper interpretation. Hakamim tell us that always the night of Pesach is the same night of the year on the calendar as Tisha B'Av. This year, Pesach, if I'm not mistaken, is on Friday night. Tisha B'Av this summer, hopefully it'll be canceled. Not the summer, Tisha B'Av will be canceled. We don't want to cancel the summer. Uh, Friday night will be Tisha B'Av. Of course, it'll be delayed to Sunday. But it's, its official day is Friday night. Lel Pesach and Lel Chabav is the same night. That's why the Hakamim say the custom is to have an egg on Lel Pesach. Because the egg represents Avilut, Barbanan. And therefore we're hinting, this night over here is Pesach, but be careful. And there's a remiss that the rabbis tell us. At Bashkar Dak Hatzvaf. You got the remez? I'll say it again. At. At means Aleph, Taf. The first night of Pesach, which is Aleph, is Taf, is Tisha B'Av. Okay, it's not such a big hadush, but it's nice. Bash, the second night of Pesach, Bet, is Sheen, Shavuot. Shavuot. I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but you can go through every single night of, this, of the Pesach, and each night corresponds to another holiday. I'm just interested in the night of Pesach being Tisha B'Av. And I'm saying, what do you mean? It doesn't make any sense. The holiest, happiest night of the year, Pesach, that should be on the same longitude as, uh, as uh, Tisha B'Av. They don't go together, Sha'atnez. And the explanation is, <laughs> they go together. Because what got us into Mitzrayim? Senat Hinam. And therefore, when we come to Lel Seder, the whole tikkun of the Seder is to fix the sin'ah that the brothers had to each other. And therefore, we remind ourselves that if you don't fix it, Tashab is coming up. 
And therefore, make the tikkun tonight so Tisha B'Av will be cancelled. So we won't have to sit on the floor. But if you don't learn the lesson of Aleph de Pesach, then God forbid it's followed by Tisha B'Av. And we know the second temple was destroyed because of Sanat Khanam. So there's a correlation between the two. And therefore, the tzaddikim, when they, when they pray to God, what did the tzaddikim pray for? There's so much you could pray for. But the main thing that Sadiqim pray for is shalom. Because they know when there's peace, the last berachah the Amidah sim shalom. The last berachah berkat kohanim, yasem necha shalom. The last berachah every kaddish, osay shalom in Romav. You see, always at the end of all the berachot, because they're saying, bottom line, all that we ask for is very good. But if there's mahloket, then there's no berachah. The berachah can only come in a place where there's, there's peace, there's unity, there's camaraderie, and there's oneness. And therefore, the main thing that the tzaddikim pray for, that there should be no sin like we say Yom Kippur in Amidah. We pray that all these things of competitiveness and rivalry and, uh, 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 you know, mahloket uh, and arguments and, 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 and rancor, all these things should be removed from us. Oh. So the Chachamim explained the Haggadah like this. The person doesn't know what to ask. He's praying to God. What should I ask? You know what you tell him? At betachlo. At. Alef taf. Let him pray for the sword of Alef the Pesach and Tisha Be'av. Let him pray for that item. The item that we come on the Pesach is because of Sinat Hanam. And Tisha Be'av is what? Sinat Hanam. At. Alef taf. Betachlo. Start with that. Start with that and all the berachot will be answered. If you don't, if you don't know what to pray for, at betachlo. Pray, pray with that. And that'll be the, 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 the cure-all and the answer to all of your needs. Because when there's shalom, you have everything. Good. So that's a nice illusion. But it's not clear again. It's not clear. It's a nice. I'm giving you all nice things in the Haggadah that are dancing around the concept. But shouldn't we have something that's so I found it. I'm reading you Harambam. Harambam is in the laws of Hametsu Matzah. It's in Perek Het Halachabet. Harambam, my mother is. Harambam writes, Matir umevarech borepri adama. We start to say that we take a vegetable. We make borepri adama velokeyach yarak. Yarak. Green. And they dip it. And you eat it. And everybody eats from it. Fine. Rambam doesn't tell us what type of vegetable. Maybe Rambam doesn't care what type of vegetable it is. By the way, all different communities eat different items. Uh, we have celery by us. Ashkenazim, they have a potato. They have other items. But all of us have one thing in common that we call it the karpas. Like it says in the Haggadah, Kadesh, Urhas, karpas. Now what you use for karpas, good luck to you. That's up to you, Minhagim. But it's called karpas. Now comes the rabbi called Rabbeinu Manoah. Rabbeinu Manoah is a rabbi that wrote a sefer called Sefer Menuchot. It's a commentary on Harambam. He lived in the 1300s. He lived in the city of Narvona. And he writes, 
ואנו נוהגים בקרפס. Although the Rambam didn't tell us what to eat. Amen Hag is Karpas, that's coming from the 1300s already. The Karpas didn't start, you know, uh, uh, in Brooklyn. Karpas already started 1300 years ago. And uh, what do you mean? A uh, thousand uh, uh, years ago. So he says, why? Zecher leketone tapasim she'asai Yaakov abinu le'yosef. Oh, the Karpas reminds us of the ketonet pasim, of the, we used to call it the technicolor coat, the striped coat that Yaakov Abidu made for Yosef. Now where does he get karpas? Yeah, it's close enough maybe, karpas, ketonet pasim. You don't have to make up a derasha. Go to the pasuk in Vayeshev. On the pasuk ketonet pasim, Rashi. Lashon klimilat. Ketonet pasim is like a klimilat. It's a, a made out of a, a, a fancy, nice wool or fabric. Klimilat. And Rashi gives us an example that the word kar and striped kar is used in Megillat Esther in the pasuk. Hur. Karpas utchelet ahuz. When it says karpas in Megillat Esther, it's not talking about that Ahasuerus served celery at the party. Karpas is talking about the tapestries and the cushions and the beautiful fabrics. And one of the fabrics that they had was what? Karpas. It was a fabric that had stripes. And therefore, Ashi, in his example of ketonet pasim, what does he say? Kemo karpas. So therefore, karpas, a fabric that has pas, a fabric that has stripes. So therefore, says the Benu Manoah, oh, you know why you're eating the karpas? Because you want to remember the ketone pasim. And I'm asking a simple question. Why do you want to remember the ketone pasim on Pesach? Says the Rav. Asher besimbatan netkalgel adabad v'yartu avotenu lemitzrayim. Because it all started with the Ketone Basim. That's where the animosity began. That's where the jealousy began. By Kanu Oto, by Yisne'u Oto. Why? Because of the robe. And what did they end up doing? They took the robe and they went and they dipped it in the blood. And therefore we start the Seder before anything. And we take karpas, the ketonet pasim, and we can't dip it in blood, we're not vampires, we're not allowed to eat blood, but we dip it into something bitter, either salt water or some new vinegar, but the point is, the dipping, this dipping over here, where all the children are asking, hey, what are we dipping? Today the kids don't ask, because all they do is dip the sushi into the, the <laughs> but in the olden days, before people were dipping, they would ask, Manish Tanash, we never dip, but tonight we're dipping. Today the kids are used to it. They, today they say, what are we dipping in salt water? Where's the, where's the garlic mayo? Where's the, where's, the, where's the soy sauce, they ask. Put that on the side. In any event, in any event, so you see, according to the Benu Manoah, this is what the Rishonim. He's learning that the karpas, now that's something that's in your face already. Because if you know the Hebrew word, karpas, that's a, that's a garment. And it sounds like pasim. And therefore, right at the onset of, of the Haggadah Shal Pesach, we're reenacting. We're reenacting this 
this inyan of the dipping of the ketorah pasim. Now I will tell you, I will tell you that I saw in a uh, beautiful, beautiful Haggadah Pesach, my rabbi called him Eliezer Ashkenazi, Sfaradi. He lived in the 1500s. He wrote a Haggadah Shel Pesach called Maaseh Hashem. He was a student in Kabbalah of a great rabbi called the Al-Sheikh, Rabbi Moshe Al-Sheikh. And he was a contemporary of Rabbi Yosef Karo, the author of Shulchan Aruch. And Rabbi Yosef Karo held of this rabbi as, a, as an equal, meaning in his, in his, in his authoritative brain. The great rabbi. He wrote a pirush on the Haggadah as well. I'm only giving you the history of these rabbis because I'm just trying to show this theory I'm giving you is not something from, uh, that I made up or had a dream. This is written already from the rabbis of 500 years ago. He says like this, Why do you dip twice? It's a good question. The kid asked that to say that. Why do you dip twice? So listen to what he says. Biyitachen. Part of the obligation of this night, lesaper, is to tell over, to retell. Often The reason why we went down to Mitzrayim, not that we went down and we got out. The ofan, the way we went down, and that way is what. Nitzavinu We have to dip twice. Ehad that's the karpas. Neged kodem yeridatam. Before we went down to Egypt, yeridatam, and that was the cause why we went down. The hainu tibul haketonet bedam. He says it clear. It's the dipping of the ketonet pasim into the. So the first dipping is the dipping of galut. The dipping of exile, the dipping of Sinat Hinam. The Harkach. What happened, ladies, before we left Egypt? God said, now we're going to make a tikkun for what you did with the Ketonet Pasim. And all the Jews came together and we took what's called Agudat Ezor. Baze Aguda. Aguda is a, a collection of Ezor, of Hisap. Okay, it's an herb. And what did we do with this hyssop? We slaughtered the Korban Pesach and we took the Agudat Ezov and we dipped it in the blood. And what did we do with that blood? We painted our homes with it. Don't do that at home, but we did that in Egypt. Before we left, we painted the houses. We painted it with blood. And that is the tikkun because that's when we came together as a nation. Agudat Ezov. And therefore, the second dipping, which is at the end of the Seder, is the dipping of what? Geulah. Says the Rav. And therefore, the two dippings represent the dipping of the Galut, Ketonet Pasim Badam, and then the final dipping, which was right before we left. Therefore, the tibud the, the of is very significant. It's very significant. Now, I will tell you that there is a, an amazing Haggadah Shel Pesach 
that was written by a rabbi called Rav Shlomo Kluger. Rav Shlomo Kluger. He lived in the 1500s. Rav Shlomo Kluger is mostly known for his rabbinical responsa. He wrote Sefarim Ha'elif Dechashelomo, over a thousand responsa, questions that they asked him. Hey, he was a gaon, but he also has a pirushan Haggadah Shel Pesach. And listen to what he says. He has the following question. I don't know if the Ashkenazim have this minhag, but we have the minhag. In the beginning of the Seder, we take the matzah that's, uh, that we broke, the lechem oni, it's in a covering, and we put it on our shoulders. And we say, Mish'arotam, sirurot, besimlotam, al-shikmam, ubnei Yisrael asukin bar Moshe, min jayeh, misraim, fenayeh, yushalayim. Well, that's our custom. We put the matzah on our shoulders. And why do we put the matzah on our shoulders? Because we're trying to do charades. We're doing a little movie, a little acting. What are we acting? It's not acting, it's reenacting. We're reenacting when the Jews left Mitzrayim. They had the matzah on their shoulders. And therefore, and they said that we, we do the same thing. Esra Shlomo Kluger. Why are we reenacting this event? Is this the main event? I have a better idea. Let's take a bucket of water and everybody lift up their, uh, their pants and we'll walk through the water and we'll reenact Tiriyat Yamsuf. I mean, there was a lot of things that happened. Bring, uh, I don't know, bring, bring a bunch of frogs and let them loose, let them jump around your table. What, if you want to reenact, there's so many things to reenact. This is the item. You put it on your shoulder. And we do it. We put it on our shoulder. Everybody does it. Even the ladies. We put it on the table. We do it. And then he asks the more important question. Forget about why we do it. Why did they do it? I understand. You ever see somebody travel? We have luggage. You have ca- They didn't have luggage? No, oh, they didn't have luggage. Okay, that's the answer. Then. Why? The luggage was just invented by now. Samsonite made luggage. They didn't have luggage. They didn't have bags. They didn't have bags, you're telling me. Okay, uh, if that's the answer, that's the answer. Hamorim, they didn't have. Donkeys, they didn't have. Susim, they didn't have. They had animals. Put it on your animal. I said, that doesn't say they were carrying. Uh, they put everything on their donkeys. So I understand. When you travel, you see somebody with a peanut butter jelly sandwich on his, uh, on his shoulder. What are you doing? No, this is the way we do it. Put it on your animal. Put it in the bag, put it in your pocket, put it in your pocket. No, we put it on our shoulders. He's asking, what were they doing? Forget about that, we're copying them. We want to know what was their kabana. It's a good question. Because this is the keys, you have to know what you're doing. And that part of the seder is a big, big moment. If you know what you're doing, if you don't know what you're doing, then nothing means anything. So he, he finds the source in the Gemara. Listen to this Gemara. Ladies, I know you don't learn too much Gemara, but this piece you can learn. It's in the fifth chapter of Gemara Pesachim. Tana. Kolehad ve'ehad noten pescho be'oro u'mafshilo le'achorav. This is referring to 
In the olden days when they used to bring Korban Pesach. What is Korban Pesach? The, the lamb. Ladies, we have no connection to this anymore. In the olden days, everybody would be in Jerusalem in the of Pesach. And you had to go to the temple, you had to take a sheep with your family, and you had to slaughter it. And the Gemara says, after they'd slaughter the animal, they would take the Pesach in its hide. You, you skin the animal, they would take the Pesach whole, stick it in the hide, wrap it up in the hide, and put it over their shoulder, and carry it home, wherever they're going to eat it. The Gemara says this. Continue the Gemara. Amar of Elish, comes the rabbi of Elish. Tayait. 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 So that she says, Derek They carried it the way the Yishma'ilim carry their stuff. You ever see the Arabs, the way they carry their stuff? They throw it on their shoulder. Rav Shlomo Kluge, this is in the times of the Korban Pesach in Jerusalem. When they were on the Temple Mount, after they slaughtered the animal, the Gemara says they would take the meat, wrap it up in the hide, put it on their shoulder, and go home. The Gemara goes out of its way to tell us the opinion of Rav Elish, that he said you should know they did it the way the Ishmaelim do it. And Rav Shlomo Kluge is asking, who cares? What, what are you telling me? First of all, that they put it on their... Sh- who cares how they carried it home? And if they put it on their head, like the Indians, or they put it... Uh, they dragged it like the... Uh, I don't know what, like the other... What, what, what's, what's so... And then Rabbi Elish goes out of his way to say, Ah, they put it on their shoulders. Ah, What's the business over here? Who cares? How they, can you need a rabbi to come and tell me this? As if it means something? He's telling it to me, must be it means something. So he says, you know what? It's important to do things on Pesach that are similar to the behavior of the Ishmaelim. We want you to do things that are similar. And he says, and that's why when they left Egypt, they could have put the matzah on the donkeys. But he said, no. I'll put it on your shoulders. Because that's the way Yishma'ilim do it. And when they came to the Korban Pesach, we want you to put it on your shoulders. And if Yiddish goes out of his way and says, Ah, you see that? Like the Tayait, like the Yishma'ilim. And that's why our custom is to put the Matzah on our shoulders. Like the Yishma'ilim. But why? He says, because. Go back. Go back to when the brothers sold Yosef. How did they sell him? They didn't sell him to the Egyptians, ladies. Don't make a mistake. We didn't, Yosef was not sold to the Egyptians. What happened? The Pasuk says they took the ketonet off. The ketonet pasim. They threw him into the pit. And all of a sudden, Vayisu and him, they lifted their eyes up. Vayiru and they saw. Vehine orhat Yishmaelim. Ba'am Gilad. They saw Yishmaelim coming. Yishmaelim on the caravan. And 
What were they going? Where were the Yishmaelim going? Holchim lehorid Mitzrayma. They were going down to Egypt. So what does Yehuda say? Why kill them in the pit? Let's sell them to the Yishmaelim. And they took Yosef and they didn't sell him to Egypt. They sold him to the Yishmaelim. And that's how the Galut began. Yishmael was the Shaliyah that started the Galut and brought Yosef to Mitzrayim to become an Eved. And who started the whole process? We did. We sold our brother to the Ishmaelim, and that activated Galut Mitzrayim. Galut Mitzrayim begins with the Ishmaelim. And therefore, to remember it, when we came out of Egypt, we carried the bread like Ishmaelim. To remember the Avon that we sold Yosef to the Ishmaelim. And that's why when they carried the Korban Pesah, the Halakas is carried on your shoulder. And everybody said, what are you acting like Ishmaelim for us? Uh, don't remind us. We, bad history we have. Because this Kurban Pesa all started because we sold our brother to Ishmael. And then we, thousand years later, we still put the matzah on our shoulders. So when your child says, Daddy, why are you putting the matzah on your shoulder? So uh, this, is, this is the Ishmaelim's custom. Why are you remembering Ishmael? We, I thought we don't like Ishmael. Uh, we sold our brother to the Ishmaelim. This whole story tonight. Karpas is ketonet pasim. The, the matzah on the shoulder represents... The behavior of that people. And therefore, once we understand this, I quote you Rav, uh, Rav, Rav Kluger's words. He says, and I quote, sham ketiv yosef yosef to remember the sale of Yosef. And you know what they'll remember? The Ba'avon That was the Avon. The brothers did not get along with each other. Well, if that's the case. I'll tell you something else that I saw brought down in the Sefer of the Tzlach. The Tzlach is a rabbi called Rabbi Haskel Landau. We visited his grave. He's buried in Prague. One of the great, great rabbis. They call him also Nodabi Huda. The Tzlach says something amazing. He writes that we have a rule the relationship between Bnei Yisrael and the nations of the world. When one rises up, the other one goes down. It's like a scale. That they cannot be both up at the same time, they cannot be down at the same time. It's a scale that is constantly fluctuating up and down. So he writes, he says, when B'nai Yisrael are fighting, you know what that causes? It causes the Goyim to unite. A scary concept. Forget about Parnasana. 
our enemies become united when Klai Yisrael is divided. But he says, if that's the case, the opposite must be true as well. That one of the best ways to divide our enemies, you don't have to do anything in war. You don't have to have any weapons. You just have to unite. And then the scale goes the other way. And he proves it. What's the proof? At the end, when we left Mitzrayim, what happened? All the families got together. Korban Pesach. The Maharal says, the Korban Pesach, we weren't even allowed to break any of the bones, which symbolizes the unity, because B'nai Yisrael is compared to a sheep. A sheep that's all united, that we can't break any of the pieces. It has no components. It's all one entity. And we ate it with the families, and there was total camaraderie amongst Klai Yisrael. The tikkun was made. As that was happening on our side, what was happening on the Egyptian side? A nation that was so cohesive for all these years, a nation that was so uh, uh, bound by the hatred of Klai Yisrael, there was no cracks in the Egyptian society. All of a sudden, the firstborns are told that there's going to be a plague and they're all going to die at the crack of the strike of midnight. And the firstborns went to their fathers and said, listen, dad, we don't want to die. And they said, nah, don't pay attention. You told that already nine times not to pay attention. When dam sefardaya kinim, so far nine times you're wrong. Now we don't want to take a risk that you'll be wrong a tenth time because if you're wrong, we won't be alive to tell you that you were wrong. So therefore, let them go. And the Egyptian fathers told their children, we're not letting them go. And all of a sudden, a civil war broke out in Tahrir Square, in the middle of uh, Cairo. What happened? Civil war. The Egyptians started fighting each other. As it says in the Pasuk in Tehillim, that God smote the Egyptians with their firstborns. That means the firstborns were killing their own people. Like we say in the Hakadash al Pesach, Makat Bechorot. Makat Bechorot means the Makat that the Bechorot gave the Egyptians. The Makat that the Bechorot smote. Not the Makat that they got. The Makat that they, that they gave. I don't know how many thousands of people died in that war, but what activated the disunity amongst the Egyptians, says the Slah? The unity of Klai Yisrael. That was the beginning of the unraveling of the Egyptian empire. The Hadut of Klai Yisrael. And all of a sudden, they fight. That's the beginning of the fall of any empire when they start to fight with each other. An empire is destroyed from within. Egypt was destroyed from within. But who, was, who destroyed it? We did it with our Hadut. And therefore, the same thing applies to the final exile. The final exile is what? Is Yishmael. And we're clearly in that. Rav Chaim Kanievsky said, You know why? Because we come full circle. The first Galut of Mitzrayim began with Yishmael. And they'll get to the end of the Haggadah. Where does it end up? Right back at the same exile. It starts with Yishmael and it ends with Yishmael. And therefore, learn the lesson that just like the first exile was because we sold our brother to the Yishmaelim who ultimately sold him to the Mitzrayim, Sanat Hinnam, now that we're in the final exile, you're back at the same spot again. Don't make the same mistake. The only way to get out of this 
is we need a Kadosh Baruch Hu to come along and make the Tikkun. But how does that happen? That only is going to happen through Ahdut and through Shalom and putting our differences on the side. That's the key of the lesson of Pesach. We start with the reason of Galut and then we come back to the present moment of Galut. The other day, I was, uh, we had a shi'ud of one of the great rabbis, Rabbi Moshe Busu, live and be well. He's the grandson of the Baba Sali. And at the end of the shi'ud that he gave us, he said the following, and I'll conclude with this. At the end of the Az Yashir, which we sing the Az Yashir every day, we'll sing it on the seventh day of Pesach, a big, 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 big song when the Jewish people crossed the sea. And they sang the big song to God. We got saved from the Egyptians. And the last pasuk of that chapter, we say, Adonai le'olam That God should be king forever. Long live the king. And the rabbi said, he did an experiment. It's a very small pasuk. Adonai le'olam Four words. He did the numerical value of Adonai Yimloch Le'olam Ba'id. He counted the gematria. It's not so hard. It's four words. And the exact numerical value of that pasuk, which is the finality of Egypt, equals 376. Now, I know that number doesn't mean anything to you. But there's an, and it's the only pasuk in the Torah that equals 376. The whole Torah... No pasuk is gematria 376 except that pasuk. The pasuk that is the climax of Yetziat Mitzrayim. And what other word in Hebrew equals 376? The word shalom. Shin, lamid, vav, mem. Adonai imloch le'olam va'ed, said the Rav, gematria shalom. To teach us that all of that glory of God and the redemption was only because B'nai Yisrael made the tikkun of the head of Yosef HaSadik. And therefore, don't fall asleep until you sing the Had Gadiyah. Because the Had Gadiyah finishes the circle of where we begin. We begin with the Yishma'ilim and we end with the Yishma'ilim. And in between, we behave like the Yishma'ilim. All to remind us of the Avon, but more importantly, that we should make the Tikkun and once we make the tikkun, if one mahloket pushes away a hundred parnasot, then one shalom brings close, not a hundred, a thousand parnasot. And therefore we say to our members that Be'azat Hashem, Benisan Nik'alu, Benisan Atidim Nik'ael. The Tzrora more writes that if you look in the pasuk that talks about Leil Seder, it says, Leil Shemurim Hu Hashem. It says the pasuk, Leil Shemurim. It's called the Night of Protection. Shimurim hu lechol b'nei Yisrael. Says the rabbi, why does it say Shimurim twice? It says the Shimurim twice. So he comes along and he says, because it's alluding to the what? The four exiles are doubled. Shimurim is referring to the four exiles, and then Shimurim is referring, and just like we were redeemed on Lel Pesach from Mitzrayim, will be redeemed from the eighth exile. And the eighth exile, of course, is the Galut Ishmael. But it only will happen when we become united and then our enemies will come divided.